And I realized a long time ago that what was actually stopping most people from achieving their athletic goals wasn't their willingness to do the training. It was the fact that they weren't getting enough sleep or their life was disorganized and chaotic or they were eating the wrong things. And so if I could help them with those, that would then help them get more consistency in the training. Welcome to the Run Form Podcast. I'm Bobby McGee, running mechanics expert. And I'm Matt Pandola, your run-specific strength coach. Matt and I have been working together for almost a decade on some of the top athletes in the world, and we've decided to share that process with you guys. Simon, thank you so much uh, for coming on our little run form podcast. It's really exciting to have you, and we've been uh, honored to be guests on on your program in the past too. So we have today we have Simon Ward from the High Performance Human Podcast, Triathlon Podcast, actually, because I know you like to start off with the human performance approach to life, which is I, I like that very much as well. But this is the Human Performance Triathlon Podcast, so. Thank you so much for being on, Simon. Why don't you uh, kick us off by just giving us a little bit of background? Yeah, thank you, Matt, and thank you, Bobby, for inviting me. It's a pleasure to do this reciprocal podcast because you've both been very gracious and, and sharing on, on my, my podcast. I have been involved in triathlon since 1987. I first started out as a triathlete, a bit more like a fundraising thing that I did for this pub I was working at, and... That was before there were really any triathlon coaches and triathlon wasn't a thing really. So I quite liked doing something that nobody had heard of before. And I've carried on doing that ever since. But after seven or eight years, I wrote an article about my first Ironman event and people started asking me if I'd help them with some coaching because there weren't really any formal coaches around in those days, certainly not in the UK. I carried on doing that for a few years. I was writing an article in a magazine and they used to give me a little, one of those little sort of two-line biog adverts in the back and I'd put a link to that from the article and then people would write me a letter back in the old days when we just had pigeon post and so that's how it carried on in in the year 2000 2001 British triathlon introduced a formal coaching qualification so I started doing that and then I took the level three qualification which is the highest one became a tutor so since the middle of the 2000s I've been not only have I been coaching and participating, I've been co- I've been educating and, and um, mentoring and tutoring other coaches because probably like you, Bobby and, and Matt, as you acquire senior status in the sport and in your industry, it's nice to be able to put back the knowledge that you've acquired and help the next wave of people who are going to come after us. And, and, I've, and I've always been into the idea of sharing and putting stuff out there. I, I know some people say, oh, you share too much time and you give it away. You should make it all a secret. But as we all know, there's, there's no such thing as secrets. And the actual secret source is about how we apply all that to that person. So th- then I started doing the podcast six or seven years ago as another way of sharing and marketing. And yeah, it's all, it really, it's all designed to just increase the awareness of my brand, I suppose, and keep a constant flow of people knocking at the door and asking me to coach them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And um, you know, you were talking before we went online about going to ride your gravel bike in R- Romania. Do you still compete in triathlons or compete in events? Or I do you know what? I got the opportunity to race in Hawaii at the World Championships back in 2017, and and that was my for a long time that had been my bucket list item number one. And when I did that, I drew a line under everything I really wanted to achieve in triathlon, and I had a, had a few personal issues. Um, after after that and so um, 
I, I felt I, I was a bit down for a year. I didn't really do any competing. And then I sort of lost the love. And with COVID as well, I sort of lost the love for doing triathlon. I still swim three times a week. I ride my bike most days. And and since I've got over my skiing injury, I've started running again. So I still do all the three sports, but I just don't really get a buzz out of competing. However, what I do get a buzz out of doing is entering events and challenges. So gravel riding, I've, I've really got into in the last couple of years. And so this is not an event we're going on. It's an organized trip in Transylvania. Um, oh, wow. So right. that's a five-day trip. And it's with, a, it's with a group of people that I ride with on a regular basis. So we have... We have we have one or two adventures like this every year. Oh, do you are, are uh, purple lined capes uh, optional? <laughs> well, I'm not sure yet. There might be. We've christened it. We've christened it the Dracula Tour. I'll be taking some garlic and attaching it to my bike. Okay, that sounds <laughs> perfect. That sounds perfect. <laughs> it's beautiful country. I I have some friends over there, and uh, it really is exciting. And of course. Gravel uh, bike riding is exploding just in terms of the fact that it's fast enough to give you that thrill of the road bike, but it's 30 times safer, right? Because you're on the back roads, there's less cars, it's just a, a, a wonderful opportunity from that perspective. Yeah, you, you've only you've only got to worry about your own incompetence, right? Exactly right, <laughs> yeah. So interestingly enough, Simon, you and I started triathlon about the same time. I did my first triathlon in 1986, and I went the short distance way. I loved the sprints and the Olympic distances and eventually ended up doing the old world championship long course racing distance, Mm -hmm. the Nice distance that that Alan always used to win. Yeah, so that's really, really interesting. And I think I was pretty much done with triathlon by... I think 2001, 2000. So I have I haven't done it done one in a while as well, right? I I sometimes feel like when you coach something, it it loses its shine. You're right when you're going. I'm much more interested in how other people are going to do in this than I am in my own stuff. Yeah, I think there's some little things that have tempted me. There's some extreme tri races now. So I got the chance to do the Norseman back in 2010, and I really like the point to point principle of that whole event because it's more about your logistics and not necessarily racing for a time but just trying to conquer the course so this there's some great events that they have now in their x-tri world series that that i might be interested in Uh, but there's also some short course racing that they do now i'm I'm sure they do some in america as well but it's where the riding is in a group so it's draft legal so it's on a closed course and because i'm a strong swimmer i know that i would come out higher up in out to the water in the age group and I'm a strong enough cyclist to be able to stay in a group so then as long as I can put your run form skills into practice I might be able to keep up as well yeah that's the loneliness right the loneliness of the long distance runner is extrapolated into triathlon right yeah. Uh, yeah. often when working with draft legal athletes uh, from a sports psychology standpoint I, I say to them that Economy doesn't matter in the water. You just got to find feet. Doesn't matter how many matches you burn, right? You've got to find feet because that's twelve around about twelve percent easier to do that, right? And then the same thing on the bike, and that's as much as thirty percent easier. And then suddenly the whole mindset changes, right? You left totally alone with your toolbox, your box of sandwiches, <laughs> and how you use your box of sandwiches is up to you on the run, right? So it 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 requires that change of mindset. Yep. Where do you operate out of, Simon? I'm based in Yorkshire, north of okay. England. Oh, um, triathlon country right there. Absolutely, yeah. The Brown, the Brownleys are only a few miles from me and they have the high performance centre here in Leeds where a lot of the 
um, a lot of the top UK triathletes are, are hanging out. So I think at the last Olympics, five of the six in the team were based in Leeds. And it's probably going to be fairly similar for the next Olympics in France. So, yep, up here in Yorkshire, but I have, I have clients all over the place, um, all over the world now. I've got a couple in the Middle East. I've got one in America. The internet and the explosion of the internet since we started coaching Bobby and Matt has, has been amazing in terms of shrinking everything and bringing people closer to us, hasn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, and I mean, we can even share a word or two eventually about AI. But there is something very yeah. important I want to ask you. I've done some trips in the 80s to the UK to consult with the best running coaches in the world. You know, I spoke oh. to people like Frank Hall, George Gandhi, Harry Wilson, all those great coaches in the 80s, many of which have now passed on since then. But one of the questions I always asked them coming from sunny South Africa was, what is it about the Brits and the shocking weather that you have for outdoor endurance sports that you guys are so persistent and so good at it and are so able to deal with those circumstances. I mean, Leeds is, you know, for everybody else other than a Geordie or something that comes from that part of the world, it's like, why would I want to train here, you know? Um, well, and we've got, we have a lot of Olympic athletes. I don't know if there was a running joke around the 2012 Olympics in London that Yorkshire, we were considering Yorkshire as our own country and people were making up these mock medal boards that showed Yorkshire that were, at, were eighth in the medal table with all the gold medals and the silver medals that had been won by athletes who were from here. And yeah, I don't know. I think athletes from the UK are, they're stoic. They can put up with stuff. They can race in good weather because we do have some good weather over here. And this is known as sunny Yorkshire to those who live here. And I think you just learn to deal with it. It gets cold, but it's not like living in the Arctic Circle. It gets wet, but there are wor there are worse places for it to rain, and we're all waterproof as humans, and I guess you just get used to dealing with it. And I know the Brownleys have said that, that they could go and train anywhere else, but what they have here is all their friends, and they have exactly the right terrain for them to become strong cyclists and all the facilities, and, you know, it's where their family is. And so... I think particularly in in terms of the triathlon, once you've got some, once you've got um, a coaching network that's set up to support a couple of athletes initially, that acts as a magnet to bring other people in. So you then form this cohesive unit of people that can train, and and you'll both be familiar with groups of of runners that are the Boston runners in the seventies and eighties. Um, you know, it, um, the Norwegians with the triathlon now. You, you just get these little groups that form, and it seems to then attract other people and so he goes on and then that sort of reaches the end of its cycle and somewhere else becomes the centre so just feel like Yorkshire's um, you know Yorkshire people are down to earth and just get on with stuff I think okay and, um, that's, that's probably the reason first of all Simon I want to say hi I haven't said hi yet to you <laughs> Matt to you. hi yeah so this conversation it gets me thinking about why well, I, I love John Wooden's pyramid of success and I always kind of refer to that with any athlete I work with. And really, in my mind, even I'm thinking back to the days when I was growing up in Connecticut and over the winter, running was tough. <laughs> you, uh, you not only have cold, but you have wet cold. And so mm -hmm. really, it was a struggle just to get in that winter training. You really had to be dedicated. You, mm -hmm. It's one thing to be, you know, motivated you you see rocky movie and 
you get that montage going. I'm, oh man, I'm going to go out there and, and, and run up those stairs, man. This is awesome. And then you get really cold and you think, ah, do I really need to get up before school and do this again? Right. So mm-hmm. that's to me, I don't know. I think a little bit more about how maybe the athletes that do show that they have not only the enthusiasm, but the industriousness to repeat every day, regardless of the weather, and to just manage that in their minds and say, oh, okay, now that we actually do have some nice weather, or when I go to race and these conditions are so much nicer that they have that in their toolbox, right? They have that in reserve. I remember every time spring would roll around and I was just so excited to get on the track without snow mm. <laughs> and, and without the whipping winds, just uh, literally just freezing the family jewels every time I'm out for a run, right? I don't have to wear five different layers every time I want to step out the door and I would get super excited, right? So I, I think it has something to do with that too, just giving that athlete uh, the chance to work on industrious and enthusiasm. I almost think that's a gift in the beginning and kind of whittles out the people who really love it. Do, do, you, um, do you guys know of a cyclist retired now called Chris Boardman? Oh, yes, of course. So yeah. Chris Boardman used to say he was a time trialist. He used to race on the road in all sorts of weathers. And he said, when we came to a race and it was raining, you could see that 50% of the field had already lost and he said, and that just, and I used to ride in that all the time. So that just gave me extra strength and I knew I had something over them. Uh, and I think when you do have to train in those conditions, you know, you can deal with anything. Whereas if you're used to training in the warm weather all the time and it's dry, when it's wet and it's horrible, it, it sort of does knock you a little bit, doesn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. And unless you learn to relish it, right? And that's, yes. that, that's, that's the, the stock in trade of the stiff British upper lip is uh, put up put up and shut up and, and get on with it. I love it. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Simon, how many how many athletes do you coach worldwide? What's the size of your squad? Yeah, I have, well, I have two squads, really. I have the people I work with on a one-to-one basis, so I have much more um, much more communication with them on a, on a weekly basis. Um, and I, you know, that floats at around between 12 and 16 depending on the time of year, depending on who who approaches me. I, I always try, like a good restaurant, I always try to have one table empty because you never know what interesting projects just going to appear in your inbox. And I don't I don't ever want to be at the point where I have don't have the capacity enough to turn somebody away. So it, it's around between 12 and 16. Okay. And then on the second part of that is I also have this, this the hat that I'm wearing is for a subscription group that I have called Simon Ward Athletic Training. So it's SWAT. And I have about 100, 120 members of that who get a lot of programs for me, uh, from me, which I've created. So they get the structure, they get them through Training Peaks, and then they get access to me through our Facebook group. So, for instance, I had a call with a lady today. I speak with her maybe once or twice a year, but she wanted to know about a couple of events that she'd got, and she's turning 50, and she's more interested in the longevity thing now and so she wanted to pick my brains about how to go around approaching that that training program going forwards but but she wouldn't be one of those people that wants to speak to me every week i have a a bigger group of people who pay a a smaller fee on a monthly basis to to get some of what i've created and and that but that also works as a bit of a funnel 
because some of those people will then upgrade and want to become one-to-one coaches at a later date. Okay. And what levels and what sort of disciplines do those individuals represent generally? Yeah, most of them are triathletes. So that was one of the things when we were talking about how, what, what does my business look like? What do I do? I, I, I feel like I'm a life coach to triathletes. And like you, Matt, I'm a strength coach, but I'm also a sleep coach and a nutrition coach. And that enables me to offer a much more holistic package than most than most coaches do. And I, and I realized a long time ago that what was actually stopping most people from achieving their athletic goals wasn't their willingness to do the training. It was the fact that they weren't getting enough sleep or their life was disorganized and chaotic or they were eating the wrong things. And so if I could help them with those, that would then help them get more consistency in the training. So the majority of them are triathletes, but I have got a couple of people who are pure runners, but they're most of the people I would say are in industry, running businesses, they're either their own business or they're at quite a high responsible level in someone else's business. And they just need structure and guidance really to keep them going along. They've got, they've got the enthusiasm, but sometimes that's uh, needs to be checked a little bit like holding a greyhound back. Um, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, but most of them are involved in triathlon. Isn't it funny how the strata of individuals that are drawn to triathlon so often come from high academic standards, captains of industry, stuff like that. It's really interesting. And I don't know if that's more a financial thing or or what the situation is, because obviously it's much more expensive to do triathlon than it is to do swim or bike or run as individual sports. So I was uh, your thoughts on that would be interest. I would be interested because you brought it up. Yeah, I d- definitely agree that if you looked at the demographic of most triathletes, it would be in that ABC one category. Successful, I would say, high achieving types of people. Um, often I get I get individuals who approach me saying, right, well, I've got uh, three children. I've just started another business and we're building a house, but I do have a few hours left each week. So I've decided I want to do an Ironman triathlon before I'm 40. And it's like, why would you try to squeeze that in when you've got so little time? But that's the nature of their their personalities that if they've got spare time, they feel like they're being lazy and feel guilty. So they... Yeah, I have uh, just a little example of that. I think as a coach myself now, several years have gone by where I've seen the kids that I've coached in high school go on to be successful in every direction you can imagine. And I want to uh-huh. point out some of them are the best now parents that I uh, that I really look up to and even model after, right? But future CEOs and presidents and uh, leaders in our industries, that is most common in the sport of cross country in high school, those kids who okay. do that yeah. sport, right? And uh, that's what I always found really fun fact. And I used to tell the kids that because in high school, for example, I remember one year we were a really small team that I coached, a small private school that was in the largest division. And so it was really rare for us to even make it to state. And that year we made it to state. We also, for our top male runner, he was second overall in the state. But that year, there was a kid who was the state champion and was ranked number one in the country. He went into that season fully prepared to get the best out of himself. And the team 
really worked with him to support him as much as he could. And lo and behold, they found that they got the best mm-hmm. out of themselves. We made it to state, but it was like a blurb at the school. Football was mm. still king, for example, right? And I told the kids way back then, look, you're the future leaders and this work that you're doing, this is not really get, it doesn't get a lot of acknowledgement. And I think that is kind of what attracts people who are successful to the sport of triathlon or endurance sports, where you're just willingly suffering and you're willingly committing to a daily commitment. And I think of it as that purpose or that daily drive that you're looking for a challenge and you know that you get the best out of yourself for your business, for your family, for the rest of your life, because challenge accepted is the motto that I like to think of there. And and so really, I think that in itself is partially why we see that, right? Because the people who do find that attractive are not looking for the immediate rewards. They're used to long-term results coming from a lot of consistency and commitment to get there. And to them, that's the real reward, no matter who's watching or if they get a medal or not. I think a lot of those folks are successful because they're, you know, like you say, they're engaged in the process, aren't they? Not the outcome. Although the outcome is important because that's why you see a lot of them saying, I want to do Ironman because I need the tattoo. So clearly they do want to demonstrate that they've done that, but you do have to be able to commit to the process over a fairly long time. Yeah, it's it's so interesting. My, my next question was going to be about your approach to coaching, but you already brought up the holistic thing. Mm-hmm. You already brought up the the strength and conditioning. You brought up sleep. You brought up all these strengths that you need to develop to help people do triathlon. And the law of unintended consequences is so interesting with COVID, right? So what COVID did in draft legal triathlon, for example it massively raised the standard of running because all of these athletes went back and started working on their weaknesses and so on. They started running time trials and stuff like that, which they wouldn't necessarily be able to do if there was a full season, right? Similarly, uh, with your work, it's so interesting that that in triathlon during the COVID times, it really struggled, right? Because people that ride their bikes would continue to ride their bikes. People that Swim would continue to swim if they could, right? I know pools were shut down and so on. And then people would obviously get out there and run because that was the safest environment to be in. But triathlon suffered, right? Because the triathletes define themselves by the races they've run, by the races they've competed in. Jim Lua and Tony Schwartz wrote a book called The Power of Full Engagement about these CEO types that had wonderful families, successful relationships, incredible businesses. They were fit and healthy themselves, but there was always that one thing missing, right? And I think that triathlon fits in well there, that ability to be self-actualized and go out there and saying, look, everybody can run a 10K, but not everybody can do an Ironman. It takes a lot of things to come together. And Mm -hmm. finishing an Ironman is pretty near winning an Ironman, right? Because it's right it's right up there with how hard it is. So out of that sort of background, how would you define your coaching philosophy and your approach to to helping all these individuals with their triathlon endeavors? Yeah, just before I answer that, Bobby, I'll I'll go back to what you were just saying there. That 
within triathlon, there's actually a division now in Ironman called the Executive Challenge. So this is for yes. some of those executives who are right at their very highest levels, you know, the senior partners in some of the big four accountancy firms, consultants at McKinsey. Yeah, I think if you're running your own business, you have to have um, you have to be having a turnover of at least seven figures. Um, and if you're working for a business, it's, yeah, it's got to be a it's got to be a publicly recognisable business or something. So there are certain there are certain entry level qualifications that you need to have in order to race the executive challenge. And then when you race, you get a VIP entry. You know, you have your own dinners, you get access to some of the athletes, but uh, that that's interesting that they have this within Ironman, even where where you said it's it's still quite a high entry fee. There's this next level you can go to to just get a bit more. And when you talk when you talk to some of these folks, they are really captains of industry, people running major corporations internationally. And and I do think, how do they get the time? But again, if if you've ever read Tim Ferriss's book Tools of Titans, there's a lot of people in there doing stuff that other folks who perhaps don't have that level of responsibility in life would think where do they find the time but somehow those folks do manage to carve out the time um going going back to your first question or your, your final question there was i think that it's important when when somebody walks through the door that you recognize that you're dealing with a human first not an athlete and so you know i i have a very strong belief that most athletes will benefit from strength training for example or eating better now i get a lot of people saying what performance improvements am i going to get if i lift weights so you know is it going to help me run faster or swim faster or if i change my diet is that going to help me go faster i can't say that it might do it might not there isn't really a lot of research evidence supported but i know it's going to make you a healthier higher functioning human and normally when you have humans who are healthier and better performing they're going to perform better in athletic events what I've seen in the past, and I guess where I started off with my coaching was I used to coach people for the event and I'd perhaps in the early days, I didn't focus on these things. And after a certain point, you find that that individual can't cope with that level of training and everything unravels and you find that it's unraveling because they're not getting any sleep or enough sleep or they're not eating the right things or they don't have the strength to support the training they're doing. So you have to go back and put all that stuff in last and that was about the same time as I made this realization that if you could coach their life, you could probably coach them to be better athletes as well. So that's yep. that's sort of where I'm at now, really. Yeah, my uh, brother from another mother over here. We we think the same way as far as the strength side of things go. I'm so glad you brought that up because I think that strength training really is about being uh, more robust, and it's prehab <laughs> first to me. And then it leads to performance, but most importantly, it equals longevity yep. with the athlete. I know you and I are the same page on this. And so when somebody comes in for a proper evaluation, the first conversation is really about their life and everything you're saying there, because there's this misconception to me that, well, I was told that I have to lift heavy in order for this to count right and then there's this whole conversation around what is heavy and do you have currently the mobility and the motor control in order to attain the results from these compound movements mm -hmm. let's say like uh you know a single leg squat that you want right and mm -hmm. 
ultimately what it comes down to me though is getting the that robust that minimal effective dosing in with that athlete allowing them to understand because they can stay consistent with that model mm. that they in other words they don't have to stress as much about having a little less volume in their swim bike run and that's something that Bobby and I, we talked about years and years ago as we were uh -huh. preparing athletes for the Olympics and realizing that we're seeing athletes who are excelling even at the highest levels with less overall volume because of that uh, strength being so robust for them. And it mm -hmm. is something that's, again, a long-term commitment. Um, somebody's been uh, starting strength and their gym age is zero. Obviously, they need to look at a two-year process, but once they've really built up that base, and isn't it worth it after a couple of years of consistency with that kind of base, now you can always work a lot more off of that solid foundation and not have so many niggles coming up, not having as many set setbacks, and in part... I argue that strength actually improves recovery. And why? Because you don't have to get in quite as much volume. There are days where you are going to say, get in maybe 20 minutes of your strength session and even huh? negating some of your run volume and realizing your main gaining. You're actually getting a little further that way because mm -hmm. you've been able to stack that and recover more until the next quality effort instead of trying to constantly cram. Do you know what I take the greatest pleasure in, Matt, is go onto a triathlon forum and post either in response to somebody who's asking about strength training or to be a bit provocative and say, do you think triathletes should do strength training? And I got into a, I got into a really, sort of, could have been a quite heated discussion, but I left it after a few post because this one guy said i'm a personal trainer and i think that if you're going to be a triathlete and you've got this to do you just need to swim bike and run that's good enough and i said what about mobility well if you're doing a swim bike and run program you get enough mobility there and you don't need to do strength training i, I, I really wanted to, i really wanted to get into this with this chat but i sort of restrained a little bit so i did my own post yesterday and it's been really interesting i, I said look this is a safe space so I want. I value your opinion. You're not going to get called out. So there's no right or wrong. You know, I'm just un interested in understanding your position. The, there's the in the majority. Most people saying yes, very definitely, and particularly for those folks who are in their forties or fifties, saying you know it's a, it's about being a better functioning human. You know, so it, that was really nice to read. There are still some people saying if you do enough swimming and cycling and running, that gets you strong, or you can cycle uphill with a big gear, or use paddles in a pool. But that's some, I asked the question, well, if you get if you get injured, which in, invariably you will, and you go to the physio, the first thing that she or he's going to say is, ah, the reason you've got injured here is because you've got no strength in those shoulders to use those paddles or your calves aren't strong enough to do all that running. So here's some prehab work you're going to do, right? Just like you just said there, prehab work. If you'd done it in the first place, you might not have needed to um, be in the physio room. <laughs> yeah. No, and I, I would say on that is... There's the education, there's the influence, huh? and why we do our podcast in the first place, because I, I do want to get to what you really look for in your podcast, what you're trying to preach and, and uh, what you're trying to uh -huh. teach, but also what you're trying to learn, I think most importantly. So uh -huh. I bring it back to myself and I think about what I was taught 
20, 30 years ago. And some of that I would really balk at now. But at the time, I was just totally bought in and I didn't, uh. I wanted to learn what was inside the box. So sometimes I was actually influenced in a certain direction by mm. a strength system or a coach and I fully invested in it, learning it. Over time, I would learn that this was really orientated around football or what, you know, what I call, you know, the, the, just in, in general, uh, I don't play sport ball, right? So I think that's what <laughs> makes us a little different because I was constantly thinking about endurance. And that's different in that progression, in that system of what also becomes important, right? For an example here, when we talk about uh, Athletes Performance Institute, and we talked about that a little bit in uh, the podcast huh? that I did with you, uh, the system is absolutely world-class and i was very fortunate to go through that system nick winkleman was the head coach and uh -huh. under mark verstegen and I, I tell you what there's the guy is just absolutely brilliant he's one of those guys that i've always looked up to but i remember we had this conversation around this topic and saying uh -huh. look nick a lot of the things that i'm testing and i'm having to do in my mentorship here it it doesn't necessarily cross over to me as well for endurance sports. And so that's when I had to start to get outside the box, knowing what was inside the box. Mm. So the, the point I'd like to make for people listening, wondering if it's beneficial for them, is that one, you may be looking at a different animal when you're looking at strength training. I know at the mm. very beginning, my own mother, she said... Matt, you want to be a strength coach and you weigh 147 pounds. And she, it, everybody was a bodybuilder back then. It was all about aesthetics. Yeah. And then we slowly started to get more and more into good athletic training and realizing that somebody like yourself or myself or Bobby, who has that experience in endurance sports and realizing what actually yields the best overall outcome in that process for success is a little bit different. And so that's where I think uh, we've really evolved over the last 20, 30 years. But unfortunately, today we are looking at so much influence out there and people talking in absolutes. And one of the key things that I tell people is if you're constantly hearing absolutes from somebody, look somewhere else because we we really need to look at those experts if you will who have been in the box for years and years i say at least mm -hmm. 10 years and then what did they find outside of that box that may serve your specific needs a little bit more and i think of our us as endurance athletes we're gazelles out there we're not cheetahs and we're not gorillas we're a different we're a different animal. And so that does require a different system in general to me. Absolutely. Absolutes and absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Matt, I think it's time for us to take a break. We've hammered out some, uh, some good points here today. And just a reminder to folks that our program, our 12-week program is RunForm, which is a video-based program that people can utilize and it really is useful for those folks that cannot come and see us face to face and work with us. 
And then also just a reminder that it's a lifetime product, right? It's a library, it's growing. People can, after the 12 weeks, they've made that big bump forward, they've habituated, they can now carry on working on the work of Runform for a lifetime of continued running improvement. So check us out on Pendola Project and also on bobbymcgee.com if you are interested in that product. So what about your podcast, though? I really, first of all, Bobby turned me on to your podcast, and there's so much out there that I, at the time I really didn't know much about you. And I am now, you're in my top three for sure. So that's a compliment to you. I, I love the way you interview. I love what you get out of guests. And it could be somebody like me who's really not well-known versus somebody that obviously everyone in at least the industry is following. And either way, whoever you are interviewing, I feel like you get uh, the best out of those questions, the way that you interview your style. But to me, your why seems to be to break things down so they're digestible for the listener. And I love I love that. I always get something out of your podcast. Yeah, well, that, I mean, that's very kind of you to say, Matt. Thank you. So thank you. I appreciate I appreciate the fact that you're a listener and also that you um, you like the way I uh, I interview the guests. I, I do like it to come across more as a conversation like this, you know, as if, if as if we were having a coffee or a beer and we were chatting. And I always one of my initial ideas that I had in my head that I still have now is that if you were sat in a bar listening to me chatting with a guest, you'd be like eavesdropping and think, "This is interesting. I'm going to just sit here and." have another drink and, and listen to this conversation. Um, I The podcasts, like with yours, for you, gives you the opportunity to speak with somebody that's really wise and knowledgeable and experienced about a topic and have you all to themselves. If, if I met you two at a conference, I've no doubt there'd be 20 other people there wanting to get a question in and I'd maybe get one question and then go away and think I got that, but there was so much more. So uh, there's there's a selfish element is in that having somebody on a podcast means I get to talk to them all myself for an hour or more. The second thing is that I know that there's an awful lot of people out there who have a thirst for information. And I feel like, as you said, there's so much conflicting information that if I speak with the people who are doing the research and are in the weeds and doing the work, you get the truth from an authoritative person who's sometimes well-known, sometimes not, but still somebody who's doing the work. So I think, I think that stuff is worth sharing. I also feel like that there are so many there are so many different topics and areas to being a high functioning human that we have to cover all of them and there are so many different opinions that even if I don't agree with somebody on something it's nice to hear why they are and maybe I'll think actually there is a bit of maybe I quite like this bit. And then the listener can take what they like out of it, can't they, and apply it to themselves. And sometimes it's not going to work, and sometimes it will. But it will. But I do think that n equals one experiment is really valid for a lot of people. Is finding what works for them. And I think the final thing is that it's like my own little MBA. I've had such amazing guests on. If I'd paid to go and see each of them at a conference, it would have cost me ten times more than it would do to do an MBA. And when you get to the We've all got quite a lot of experience behind us in the sport. And I'm not sure that if we signed up for a university course, we'd get much out of it because there'd be a lot of generic stuff and we'd want some very specific stuff. But by investing my time and energy in interviewing such amazing guests, I get to fill in the little gaps that I want as well. 
so it's really helped me to continue with my own education and I, I do think that's a really important element for coaching is that you've always got to be trying to learn haven't you and if you get to the point where you feel there's nothing more to learn actually you should probably be quitting and hanging your stopwatch up exactly exactly yeah so interesting I'm a huge fan of John Elements who you interviewed and it was so interesting that in your interview you came at John from the perspective that he's a hell of an age group athlete right he's an incredible athlete but I learned John as a world-class Olympic distance um you know Olympic athlete coach for New Zealand and there's so many things about him that I admire and that you were able to get out of him and for him to be that person that we more intimately know and make him available to a a much larger audience because he's a self-effacing gentleman but he's not a shy gentleman so if you push the right buttons you get absolute gold out of them and you're a master of that you're right so you know, uh, Matt stole my thunder a little bit just asking about what is it about your technique? And, and, and so when you get questions after, after a podcast, what do, you, what do your listeners enjoy the most? And what do you find they need the most? I, the most popular podcasts that I do are, are nearly always with professional athletes because I think people are just inquisitive and that, there's that whole voyeurism thing that we see out of reality TV, isn't there? So that, that satisfies that little bit. Whenever I speak with somebody like you, Bobby, or Matt, a, a, a technical coach, particularly in triathlon, when I speak to swim, run or bike coaches about how people can get faster in, in those three disciplines, they are always probably some of our highest downloads. Um, Things like nutrition go down quite well. When we deal with what I would say some people talk about, the more fluffier subjects. So I I spoke with my brother, who's a a courage coach, and we talked about self-compassion and vulnerability and the courage to take tough decisions, you know. And we we touched on mental health, all of which are huge elements in whether somebody's going to be successful and that whole self-compassion thing about beating yourself up because you've not had a good run that day and that was just because you'd been in the car for six hours and you hadn't eaten anything. Those subjects, which I still think are really important and worth sharing, don't seem to get the listener's interest quite as much. It's almost like people think, oh, that's not important for me. I just I just want to listen to this thing about how to run harder. Yeah, I wanted to just comment as a listener what I learned from Stuart McGill. And you, you, you obviously... Most people have heard of the McGill Big Three, and he's the back mechanic expert, right? In fact, I think uh, that's the name of his book more for the layperson is is the back mechanic, right? And of course, I've also gone to seminars with Stuart teaching, and I read his his complete uh, text on, on the matter. And ultimately, I loved what he talked about with you there that he kept basically going back to N equals one when you would bring up questions to him on what would, what do you think uh, everyone should do? And he kept basically saying, I can't really say that because, and I love, I love that part because for example, I just so happened I'm working with an athlete who was doing the McGill, the McGill big three. And there's nothing wrong with the McGill big three, but there was a couple of things with way she was doing it the breathing mm-hmm. technique wasn't there and he uh, he was actually really adamant about how important the details were 
and that it's so yeah. hard to get that down for somebody who hasn't been personally coached by somebody who's qualified to to do that. Uh-huh. But also that really for that athlete's particular needs, the the McGill Big Three wasn't really of service to to her as much. We had to actually get her into movement patterns that required dynamic trunk control that were more re- relative to the swim bike huh. run. And to be clear, there was no current back pain or anything like that we were dealing with. So ultimately, I loved learning that from a guest like him. And you you helped bring that answer out to me because uh, I know it's almost blasphemy to say the McGill Big Three, like we, you don't, you don't need to do that, right? People people will uh, obviously love things like that. And that is certainly not, it's nothing that I would say don't do, but just bringing the education there instead of the influence, even in his own words uh, and describing to the audience and to myself as he was talking, how this really has to be of service to you. And uh, to me, I took that as a coach as well to give me permission to say, okay, this is excellent. This is exactly what we can use these tools in a toolbox, but we also know hearing from the expert himself that this can be a very individual process and that it's not just this blanket program for everybody. Now, when we do have ready-made programs, run forms, a ready-made program, what Bobby and I did there was we talked over several years in camps and saying, okay, out of these hundred things, what are the most consistent and constant things that we see it's, uh, that it will serve athletes in these goals, in their run, in their swim, in their bike, right? So that's, that is what I personally gathered from that particular podcast. I learned a lot from that, but just wanted to, in my mind, share with you that I think that's really helping people get some answers for themselves. Maybe they do need to look into that with a physio, or maybe they need to look somewhere else for a program that's going to fit their current needs. I think one of the things that I've always tried to encourage coaches to be is open-minded, to look at everything that's out there and not be afraid to say, do you know what? I got it wrong. You know, you said earlier, Matt, that there were things perhaps that you learned 20, 30 years ago and you've realized perhaps you were on the wrong path then and you needed to adjust or actually it was completely the wrong. It was like a dead end and you need to reverse out of it. That, that, that's actually part of coaching and learning, isn't it? And, and, and also being the sort of coach that says, I don't know, but I can find out. And, and that's another thing that the podcast has given me is an amazing network of people that I've spoken with and that I feel like, okay, I've had this conversation with them now. If I have a question that I can't answer about back pain, I feel sure that if I wrote to Stuart McGill, he could either provide me with an answer or somewhere to go and find that answer. And I think what what experienced coaches like us all bring to the table is a, a huge, great big address book of contacts that we can also utilize um, to put people in touch with. And I think that's, again, that's something you only build out of networking with people and being open-minded and just asking people. The final thing is also that people love to talk about themselves. So if you ask them questions about their favorite topic or about what they do, they'll they'll just open up straight away. Exactly. Simon, we've, we've again done what we're so good at, right? Filled up a huge amount of time with 
really, really important things, right? I think to me, who you represent is somebody who opens the door to what we didn't know we didn't know. And I think maybe that's why you so well loved, right? Because you've always got another tangent that people can go off on and say, wow, I never even thought about that and how important that will be. I know that you're about to travel soon and uh, you spoke beforehand about your wife, Beth, correct? That correct. Uh, she's into into um, ultra running now. And so that, that sounds very exciting. Whenever I see... England and ultra running, I think, of Land's End to John O'Groat. So hopefully one wow. day you guys will do that, right? Because that's always fascinated me ever since I was a very small kid and I heard about it, right? Simon, from my side, thank you so much. It was absolutely fantastic talking to you and thank you for being willing to come and chat to us. Yeah, I've cycled. I've Just before you go, Matt, I've cycled from Land's End to John O'Groat. So there's no way I'm running it. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I'll wrap up with a uh, couple of questions. One, you always talk about our favorite books that we have read, and we. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I did want to get in your yep. three here. That's my first question. Yeah, I'm glad you asked because I took I, I did do a little bit of leafing through my uh, book cupboard. So there are three, and I consulted my, with my wife as well because she likes to read all the books that we have. One of the first books that really helped me with my business world is called essentialism i don't know if you've heard of that it's a guy called greg McEwen. it's the discipline discipline pursuit of less it's a fabulous book and it, in fact what amuses me now is that I, I started recommending this book about to people about oh, i can't remember but let's say it was 10 years ago and it must have been around this whole circle now because i get people saying to me you need to read essentialism simon like i started off recommending this um <laughs> So, so essentially, is a, is a great book. There's other ones as well, like The One Thing and all of that sort of stuff, but Essentialism's one I like. One of the books that really got me onto the, the idea of experimenting with food and Zone 2 training, going a bit easier, introduced me to Phil Maffetone, was a book called Primal Endurance by Brad Cairns and Mark Sisson. And I recommended that to lots of people. I, I, I bought 20 copies and sent them all to clients that Christmas. And that's another book that people now recommend back to me. <laughs> and then the other one is a book called Atomic Habits, which is right. which is James Clear. And I, again, I have a lot of folks that we talked about need maybe need to adjust their eating or their sleeping or something and getting them to just start by constructing a whole lot of habits with just one small one and just getting that done and then building on top of that. And the power of compound interest from, like you said earlier, Matt. There's four for you. I love it. Yeah. Atomic Habits, by the way, I gave you my list of books and I was thinking more as a strength coach, but Atomic Habits is definitely in my all-time top three. It really helped yeah. me a lot with, um, especially I have ADD, so being able to have these habits stacked the way that he suggests huh. it helps so much. But the other part of the equation to me is just, what we sort of live by. And I have a couple I can I can share to get the party started here. But when I was younger, I always said to myself that I'm not necessarily the smartest guy in the room. And, and I'm just realistically, I still honestly think that. And our brains all work a little bit differently. But I have a guy, he's a client of mine, he's 82. And he's been saying, Brilliant. yeah, I've been working with him for 23 years now. 
And he's, he says to me, there's no hill for a climber. And what that really means is that because of the mindset that he has, and he's a guy that started with nothing and then really built an empire for himself, but really a lot of sweat equity in there. And he just always looked at that next challenge as just that, not a threat, but a challenge. And what he means Mm -hmm. by that is he's so engaged in that process that when there is anything short of the maximum mountain that he's climbed as far as his effort goes or his discipline to be able to get that effort in, that it's easier to him, right? So that's the second Mm -hmm. part to me is easy, no problem is what I say to myself. Like, I've done harder. This is, I've been in worse uh, situations. This is easy, no problem. And so, you know, that kind of mindset allows me to over deliver enough so that I feel like I can make up for anything that I might be lacking. And so anyways, that's kind of mine, but I was curious as to if you have one. This whole process of longevity and how do you keep doing what you do and love doing into your 60s and 70s and to 82 because I'm going to be 60 next year so I'm in that group of people and I need to put figure out that puzzle for myself but I do think pretty much like your guy there that age is just a number and there's this whole thing about the bumblebee you know and they say well the bumblebee shouldn't fly but nobody told it so it just carries on doing what it does I think that's the same for 82 year old athletes they shouldn't be doing that but nobody's told them so they just carry on anyway and they don't they don't worry about what the chronological age is they just get up every morning and do what they like doing so I, I i do like to i do like to think about that one as we were talking i thought but you we talked about stoicism and getting stuff done and the process and i think turn up is a good one just turn up get it done some days you feel good some days you don't but you could but the people who are the champions turn up more regularly than other people and i think so turn up is another one and then I figured that there's one that we'll all recognize as coaches, which non-coaches find infuriating and, and which relates to quite a lot of the stuff we talked about is it depends because there isn't actually an answer to most people's question. It depends. And that whole thing about the big three is, yes, it's great, but it depends because if you're not, you know, it might not work for you. So, um, so yeah, there you go. I've over-delivered again. That. No, I love <laughs> that. Very pure answer. And yeah, I, I'll finish with this, but with uh, a guy like Les at 82, I, I still can't believe what that guy is capable of. He did a 20-mile hike with a 40-pound pack in the mountains. So literally, uh, figuratively, there's no hill for a climber with this guy, but it wasn't some grand training block that got him there. It was the consistent, everyday re- uh, process to that success. And that was over the 23 year period, at least that I've been working with them. Right. So I think that sums it up really well. And so people obviously will know they can find you with your podcast. We'll have a link there. Is there any, anything else you want to talk about where people can find you? I know you talked about what you have on Facebook. Well, Uh, yeah, Facebook, Simon Ward one, that's my sort of main page. I've got a couple of other triathlon specific ones, but that's the main one. I am. Um, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram as I think I'm either the triathlon coach or triathlon coach. And 
on YouTube as well as I think I'm the triathlon coach, but I'm just getting going on the YouTube channel again. I want to uh, start doing a lot more videos and sharing stuff on there. Yeah, but I'll send you all those so you can put them in the show notes. Perfect. Thank you so much for coming on today, Simon. It's It was a lot of fun. Appreciate your time today, buddy. No, absolute Thanks. pleasure. Yeah, Thanks Bobby, so much, man. Simon. Safe travels. Beautiful. Thank you for inviting me. I really enjoyed the conversation again. As always, thanks for listening to the Run Form podcast. And as 